Welcome back, everybody. So good to see all of you here today. Are you glad to be here? Yes. Are you glad to see me? Yes. I don't know. Is that as enthusiastic? <laughs> I hope you've had a great week. How many of you were here last night for Stations of the Cross? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, that was great. Um, we had a great beginning night. Uh, uh, we, we have one more night of this. Uh, that's tonight. So if you weren't able to make it last night... We still have some spots open. We can work you in. Even if you hadn't registered online, we can get you in there. Uh, the story of Jesus' passion should never get old for us, right? Every day, when we get up in the morning till we lay our heads down at night, we should be reminded of God's love and the love that kept Jesus on that cross. Today, we're going to be in the third uh, sermon of the series we're calling Passion. In the first couple of weeks, we learned that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love and his passion for humanity. You know, Jesus could have come off of that cross. He could have called down thousands upon thousands of angels. To take him down. But he remained on that cross. Not because of the nails. Not because of the guards. But because of his unconditional love for us. And last week we learned that Jesus was and is the humble king. Who serves the world in desperate need. Jesus' actions were fueled by a humble love. And as we'll discuss a little bit further today, a perfect love focused on the joy set before him. Now, I know that this is going to be hard to believe, but when I was in high school, I ran track. <laughs> is that, you see, what, man, I tell you, that's a lean, mean running machine right there. And you think, what happened? <laughs> Too much dessert. Um, now, uh, I only ran track because I wanted to get faster for football. I loved football. And, um, but track helped me to get my endurance up so I could be a better football player. But the coach made me a low hurdler, which... I, you know, whoa, I can barely clear the low hurdles. The truth is that a bunch of guys in my school were so much faster than me. A lot of the football players, I mean, they just, they go right past me. But they didn't go out for track. They, they didn't think it was very uh, important. They played football and basketball and did other things. They just weren't interested in track. So my junior year here, I, I worked really hard, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I studied the hurdles, and by the end of the year, I actually broke our school record. Do you believe that? That we would have that many slow guys at our school? In, in fact, the record was actually put in that year's yearbook, that school's yearbook. The next year, more guys came out to run, and the record belonged to somebody else. I think when they figured out Tim broke a record, we need to go, we need to go and run track. 
But I learned some valuable lessons uh, running those hurdles. Uh, you you got to really focus when you're running hurdles. I don't know how many of you have ever done something like that. But I ran the 180-yard low hurdles. Okay? This is back in 1977 and 78. Some of y'all, most of y'all weren't even born. But every 20 yards, there's another hurdle that you got to jump over. And if you aren't paying attention, you know what you're going to do? You're going to clip that hurdle and you're going to fall flat on your face. And the race is over. That's it. I saw several times where uh, guys would clip a hurdle and they would slide along the track. In fact, we were at a meet in Williamston and a guy clipped the hurdle and he face planted and slid and he got up and he had a rug rash right here on his thighs, man. I'm like, man, I don't want none of that. Um, so you, you, you could not look around to see where other runners were. You had to focus on where that hurdle was. And you had to focus the entire time. You had to focus all the way to the finish line. You just look around thinking, okay, who's next to me? And you're going to lose your focus. In running terms, I would say Jesus ran the perfect race. And his race took him eventually to his death on a cross. But even more... It took him to the glory that God intended for him. Today we hope to learn more about the perfect love that fueled Jesus on his journey and helped him maintain his focus. How many of you find it hard to maintain your focus with all the stuff that's going on around you? Anybody here? Well, maybe most of you are better than me. How many of you got a family? Come on now, raise your hands. How many of you got a family? Now, now, how many of you got a family? Okay. Family is great until it isn't. And sometimes there's problems in our families. And it might not be a a personal problem. It could be illness or struggles that family members are going through. Financial issues. Do, do any of you have friends here? Anybody got friends? If I don't see your hand go up, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be worried about you if you don't have a friend. Uh, do you ever have issues with friends? Okay. Or do your friends ever have problems that you worry about them for. So a lot of times our focus goes to that. How about, uh, <clears throat> do we ever get so focused on what's going on in our world that we become afraid or we worry or we get anxious and we're so focused on what's going on out there that we lose our focus between here and God. We must never grow tired of following Christ because he is the one who can perfect our faith. And if we will focus on him, even as we're going through all of the mess in this world, he can help us get through it. It was the joy that he had that caused him to endure the cross 
without giving up. You see, he knew his death would give us a new life. And so the big idea for today is this. Focus on the perfect love of Jesus. And he will help you finish the race well. He'll help you run right through that finish line and experience the glory that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord, I want to come to you and admit that maybe sometimes I have lost my focus and I have gotten sidetracked on things that I can't control. Uh, maybe sometime in my life I've looked for love in many different places and I've often been let down and I'm, I'm weary of that. I'm weary of me trying to control things and me trying to fix things because I just can't do it. Please help me today to have complete trust and faith in your perfect love for me. Please help me to remain in your love through all the ups and downs of life. And on behalf of all of my friends here, Lord, I, I ask you to help us all focus on the perfect love of your son, Jesus. And then no matter what may come, no matter what struggle or tragedy, no matter what obstacle or hurt, we will finish the race strong. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if, if you guys have your Bible and you prefer to look at that, um, uh, go ahead and uh, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And um, if you uh, want to just follow along on the screen behind me, that's perfectly all right too. But uh, this is where the Apostle Paul uh, has some profound things to say about our discipline and training. And uh, beginning in verse 24, we read, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. Uh, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So I want you to think about those words that Paul wrote. You know, I just mentioned that Jesus ran the perfect race. And we know from the Gospels that he was a very disciplined man. He was disciplined with his time. He was disciplined about when and where he went. He was intentional. He was neither running aimlessly nor boxing the air. He had an eternal crown in mind. I, I said crowned, didn't I? It should have been crowned. That's because I'm an old, senile old man. Uh, but he had a specific mission and calling. Now, this makes me ask, what crown are you after? What crown 
are you trying to get? Are, are you trying to get the crown of people's admiration? Are you trying to get an earthly crown where people put your name in a record book? You know, I told you I ran the hurdles and I broke that school record. But I think I also mentioned it didn't last long. It just took one year. The next year, a much stronger athlete ran. And in fact, I even helped to teach him how to run the hurdles. And he shattered my record. I mean, my goodness. And now, now, North Carolina high schools don't even do the 180-yard low hurdles. I'm, a, I'm so far in the past, they wouldn't even remember it. Man may record records, uh, but they're meant to be broken, right? But they only last a brief time. We can't take them with us. So we should be working towards a much longer lasting goal, wouldn't you think? That goal is to cross the finish line of life right with Jesus. Would you agree with that? And in order to do that, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. And think about it. If we're going to run this race of life well, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Focus. The things you focus on will determine where you go. Have you already figured that out? You focus on something, your car may start drifting that way. Have you noticed that we tend to go where our eyes are looking? How many of you have seen somebody, I'm not going to ask if you've done it, okay. but how many of you have seen somebody texting or trying to read texts while they're driving and they're all over the road or they're slowing down? You tend not to stay between the lines when you're texting and driving. In fact, some people would say it's as dangerous as drunk driving. Some people would. The farmer knows that he has to focus on his target while plowing a field. Otherwise, he may wind up with a crooked road. Now, I asked our resident farmer, Mitchell Briley, for some information about this. Mitchell, I'm going to give you credit for all of this. But uh, he told me that with modern technology, they can actually computer input and auto-steer on their tractors now. Isn't that amazing? You can pre-program how you want to plow your field. You can even program in curves so that your tractor is just sort of going. But Mitchell tells me that even though you can do that, you still have to pay attention because obstacles might be out there in the field that you need to avoid. I know that we have these cars today that you can auto-drive. Take your hands off the wheel and the car will go. How many of you want to ride in one of those things? How many of you would rather me drive your car than have one of those things? Thank goodness, thank goodness. Somebody, Christy didn't raise her hand. I, but even, even if you have the auto drive on, what do you think you need to do? You need to pay attention. 
But if something goes wrong, I'd say this is very true in life as well. And so I want to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now you know the idea of running a race in Scripture is a metaphor for life. We're called to run a similar race, as Jesus. While running through life, it's important that we do so with endurance. We don't quit when it gets hard. Endurance requires commitment to the cause, to the goal. It invites us to never give up hope of crossing that finish line. But today, I want us to talk a little bit about Jesus as the perfecter of our faith while we run the race. You see, God is able to refine us as we run the race with endurance. But how does that happen? What's required from us in order to experience this? We already spent time in this series discussing how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. It was his passion for humanity that held him on the cross. And I believe if we desire to experience the same passion, if we desire to experience Jesus Christ personally day by day, we must be willing to fix our gaze upon the cross. You know, as humans, we experience this ongoing conflict between where we fix our gaze versus where we glance. You know the difference, right? The glance is just a quick look, see? The gaze is focusing in on. For many here today, maybe, maybe you felt empty recently in a spiritual sense or emotional sense. Maybe you felt as if you do not have much to give. And today, you're, you're here maybe just out of obligation. Maybe it's a habit. You got up and you came. Maybe it's because you're glancing at God and gazing at the world. Anybody here ever have that issue? <laughs> if you say no, then I'm going to say, boy, you're a much better person than me because I have that problem too. And I want to challenge all of us to make a switch today. I want to invite all of us to spend time gazing at God and beholding Him. Gazing at God invites us to spend time with Him constantly. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray continually. Now, how do we pray continually? Don't we have to get up and do chores and take care of family and go to work and pay our bills. How in the world are we going to pray continually? Well, friends, you know, it's, it's, it's about our posture. Do you believe that you have to close your eyes and bow your head and hold your hands like this every time you pray? You know, the fact is we can pray anywhere 
and at any time. Fixing our gaze upon Christ means praying when we're in the car. Hopefully not with our eyes closed, okay? Or when we're in the coffee shop. Or when we drop our kids off at school. When we're getting our groceries. So we can pray everywhere. We have to train our minds to focus on Christ. And stop focusing on the other things that seek to occupy our time. There's no limit to the amount of time we can spend with God in numerous and different ways. All of the time we spend with God is meant to direct our focus back to the cross. The cross is where our hope lies. And every season of life, while running the race, we need to be focusing on what Jesus did. And as we direct our focus on the cross, God is able to refine and perfect our faith, to make our faith stronger for the more difficult races ahead. He's able to take us deeper into prayer and deeper into His Word. However, allowing God to perfect our faith does not just include gazing at the cross. The second thing today is that we need to endure whatever the race brings. You know, this race of life does have its challenges, doesn't it? Would any of you agree with me? Any of you that are older <laughs> would agree with me? The Bible makes it clear that there will be hard times that we face while running the race. We will have to learn how to endure frustration and pain and hardship. You know, uh, one time when I was in college, we had this field day where we went out and we competed in different events. Well, you know, since I was the high school track star, <laughs> uh, I figured I would run. You know, that was the only thing I could do. Uh, but I, I had not run in quite a while. When I finished track and football, I mean, I was done with all the running every day. And I didn't stretch or prepare myself, and uh, I didn't have good shoes to run in, so I made, I made what I think today was a dumb decision. You know, when you're young and you make these split-second decisions, sometimes they don't turn out so good. I decided... I was not going to wear shoes because I didn't have the right shoes to run in. And so I, I messed up the knuckle of my big toe on my right foot. In fact, it still gives me problems today. Eventually, I had to have surgery on it. Y'all might like this. I had to go to the horse doctor for the surgery, and they numbed up my toe. The nurse bent my toe down, and he cut it. And he took a hammer and a chisel, and he chiseled out the, 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 grit, the calcium uh, around my knuckle. I still can't bend that big toe today. But at least I could put my shoe on after that. Dumb decision, right? Sometimes life brings some unexpected problems that we may have to deal with for many years. Sometimes they're problems of our own making. And sometimes... They aren't. Sometimes we're dealing with problems other people put on us. But in John 16, Jesus tells us 
in this life, you will have trouble. And if that wasn't enough, James 1, 2 reminds us that we should count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds or various kinds. Even Jesus had to endure trouble and persecution and pain and suffering. Last week, we talked briefly about the anguish he felt before being arrested, and he prayed and asked God to let this cup pass from me. However, he was ultimately willing to endure the cross, as Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. Now think about that. Now for our sake, Jesus endured all those obstacles that were in front of him so that he might experience or we might experience new life. And if we want our faith to be refined and perfected, chances are we will have to go through the fire because nothing perfects our faith like going through the fire. Here's what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we all may also share in his glory. The glory only comes after the suffering. There's something beautiful about seasons of suffering in our lives. Now, that, that may sound really strange to put beauty and suffering together. But recently, I've had to do several celebrations of life. Now, we used to call those funerals, but I think celebration of life is a better term because that's what it is. And as I think about those families who have lost a loved one, I realize that it's like suffering a heartache. And if you're here and you've lost somebody that you care deeply about, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But even through that process, those who have faith can get through it with a deep abiding joy even as they grieve. You know, with my own mother's health declining and uh, the knowledge that we will not have her for much longer, it's almost like the grieving has already begun. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it, again, it may seem strange to describe this as something beautiful but it can truly be a beautiful season in life because we can really feel the love and support of family and friends. Uh, we can think about what that person has added to our life, the value that they have to us and the value that we can give to them. You know, as my sister Elaine was up in Rhode Island where they had to go for her surgery, uh, following the surgery and the long rehabilitation process, uh, you know, I would say, you know, everybody's praying for you, and she's told me she felt the prayers of so many people. You know, friends, the, the struggle of life is real, 
and it can be painful, and there can be anguish of the soul. But even in the midst of that, to know that you got people that love you and are praying for you and who care for you, there is a peace that God gives us. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we read, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we feel like we are the, at the most difficult point in our lives, that's when God is able to shine His light brightest in our life. Maybe God has you in that season right now so that He can shape and mold you into the person He wants you to be. And it may be uncomfortable However, the Bible promises that we can still have joy in the midst of that suffering. We can find peace that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. I mean, they may look at us and say, how can you, how can you have so much joy? How can you be so peaceful? It's because of Jesus and our focus on Him. And the hope that we have that this is not it. And notice that text says in every situation. The decision that Jesus made to endure the cross was in the eyes of the world foolish. Culturally, this was a death tool meant for the worst of criminals. And yet Jesus was willing to die that way. Why? That text tells us, for the joy set before him. What? What joy? If Jesus was just focused on the pain and the struggle and the immediate suffering, I don't think we, he would have noticed the joy that lay beyond it. But there was something to be joyful about. His actions, by his actions, he was reconciling sinners to God, his Father. He was making peace between God and man. The curse of sin would be broken by his actions. I wonder if we are called to take a similar posture in our endurance? Does it bring you joy to think about those in your life and maybe they don't know Christ? Maybe, maybe by your actions, maybe by the way you handle things, maybe by the way you share your faith that they could come to know Christ. What if God is trying to use you through your struggle to plant the seeds of faith? Even through sharing Christ, He will perfect your faith. So friends, the admonition to keep your eyes focused on the cross 
endure whatever the race brings, and finally, remember that you are not alone. Remember that God has not abandoned you to these things. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was reminding people that he was not alone. God the Father was directing his steps and his words. Jesus was finding moments, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, to spend one-on-one time with his Father. He models for us what it means to be fully reliant on God's strength and God's plans. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When we realize it means that we are never alone, we are willing to allow God to lead us through difficult things. Now, the last few years uh, have been a struggle for many ministers, and I've admitted to you a struggle for me. And I've been in ministry long enough since 1980. Believe that? Wow. I figured since I couldn't run, yeah, somebody was like, huh, really, that long? He's an old geezer up there. I am. But, but I've been in ministry long enough, and I've had, to de- I've had to deal with enough disgruntled church members who decide they're going to leave because they couldn't have their way. Uh, that, that happens in every church. But COVID did something to the psyche of many Christian people. I mean, it made people feel scared to go to church. It created a situation where many people decided they no longer needed to go to church. I mean, they could just watch online, and that would be their church. And while I'm glad that we had that as an option, and certainly people that their health is not good and they can't get out, I I understand that. I'm happy that it's there. I want to tell you something, friends. If you're able-bodied, watching online does not create the environment that God wanted with His church. God wants His people to worship together so that we can build relationship together, so that we can support one another. We can see each other's faces. If we come and we need prayer, we will ask for prayer. But if someone else comes and they need prayer, I'll be there to help them. We can't do that when we're sitting in our houses in our pajamas watching on a computer screen. Now, as a pastor, I felt totally helpless when it comes to this. I don't want to put people on a guilt trip, but I got to call people to what I know will be best for them. And I felt unable to break through this situation. I felt inadequate. I felt at times like quitting. Maybe somebody newer with better ideas, more creativity can come in. I I took it personally, and it hurt, and I had no answers. But it forced me to go deeper with God, and it forced me to turn to prayer even more, and it forced me to rely on God even more, and it forced me to realize that I wasn't alone in this. For one thing, every preacher I talked to was going through the same thing. So, hey, it's not just our church. (laughs) It's not just me. But people, you know, I think all all the churches, all the preachers have the same thing. People got angry when you didn't wear a mask. People got mad when you did wear a mask. It didn't matter. 
And it was just unbelievable to most of us who have been in ministry for so many years that churches could lose members over masks when we should be focused on Jesus and we should be focused on each other. But the most important lesson was that God was with me. No matter what happened, he is with me. And I learned it wasn't my fault. I learned that people will do what people will do. And that's true in every aspect of life. There are people we can't control. I can't take responsibility for them. I just have to be faithful in preaching and teaching. And through experiences like this, I have witnessed Jesus perfecting and refining my own faith. Not that I've arrived, but I know that I'm different than I was. It happens when we are solely reliant on God's ability and willingness to lead us through life. And I'm telling you, friends, every day I'm learning that lesson. There's sometimes we just got to give it up to God because we can't change other people and we can't even control what happens around us. So we just got to give it up to God. We have to learn to trust him, to learn to have faith, and learn to rely on the power of the Spirit in us. In John 14, 16, we read, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So Jesus himself said, The Holy Spirit will be with you. He will never leave you. So whether you're enduring a tough season right now, or one that is producing a lot of fruit and it's, it's great and you're feeling awesome, uh, give glory to God for his faithfulness in never leaving or forsaking you and for giving you the Holy Spirit because we are truly never alone in this race of life. The perfect love of Christ for his church is an amazing gift and encouragement and it's worth remembering that Christ learned perfect love. And he received perfect love directly from his heavenly father. I brought this up last week, but it's worth remembering again today. In John 15, 9, Jesus reminds us, As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus, the savior of mankind, is asking us, to remain in his perfect love. Don't go looking for it anywhere else. Stay. Remain. And learn to abide in the love of Christ. You know, uh, this week I got a text from somebody. and I can't say who it was from. They're actually training in a SEAL program right now. But he sent me this message, and, and I really think it fits. He shared that a very high-ranking seal within the training command was uh, remediating us the other day, and while we were in a more miserable position, they're actually in buds right now, struggling and feeling sorry for ourselves, he started talking to us about abandoning self and embracing team. He told us several times, good men gladly assume sacrificial 
responsibility. He went on to explain how it's, it isn't about going or being a tough guy or able to withstand the cold, the tired, or the general suffering. He said it was about happily choosing to carry more weight and suffer more because you love the ones around you. And then he told us about how it's a choice to be a good man and that it doesn't only apply to the job. It applies to your friends, your family, the ones who look up to you for help. And he repeated it over and over. Good men gladly assume sacrificial responsibility. Boy, I told him that's the Jesus I serve who set that example. As many of us know all too well, you're not going to find unconditional, all-powerful love of Christ from some counterfeit God or vocation or hobby or worldly relationship. But if that's you and you've been looking for perfect love everywhere else but Christ, let me invite you to come back to him today. Maybe you've taken your gaze off of him. Maybe you've been gazing at the world, gazing at the problems, and only glancing at Jesus. Turn your gaze back to him. Or maybe you've never given your life wholly to him. Let me invite you there today to receive the perfect love of Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will remain faithful to you until you cross that finish line. You run your race with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And he will help you finish it well. Father, thank you for laying out this race for us through the life of Jesus. Thank you that he ran the race perfectly, always focused on your will and not his own. I pray, Father, that we too will keep our focus on Jesus, who perfects or matures us in our faith. Help us to realize that the race is not easy. There will be problems, there will be struggles, there will be hurts, there will be pains along the way. But Father, help us to endure those hardships and realize that we are not alone as we go through them. Your Spirit is with us. You have given us everything we need to run this race well. Help us to keep our focus all the way through the end. Run it well. Finish the race and receive your glory in Jesus' name.